Halleluja. with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As Jesus passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed Jesus. He walked along a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat, mending their nets. Then Jesus called them. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you. Now, among the many prophets of Israel, Jonah would not make the list of the top ten because he was, to say it kindly, a reluctant prophet. So old Jonah has been asked by God to go do a number of tasks for him, mainly eventually proclaiming to the pagan city of Nineveh that they better repent or in 40 days God's going to blow up the whole place. Now, Jonah didn't want the job. And he tries to escape and he tries to get away from God. He's not very fond of God, actually. It's, it's one of those funny things. Like, here's a prophet and, and he doesn't want to prophesy. Here's a guy who's supposed to be listening to God's word and, and he's saying, I'm listening, Lord, but I don't like what I'm hearing, so I'm going the other way. You know, I'm going to go take a holiday in, I don't know, Vegas, who knows. He, he's not a very good prophet. And in fact, when he finally does make it to Nineveh, this huge city of so many people, so many streets, it'll take three days to walk from one side to the other, 
doesn't even take one day to walk across Cuenca. You know, he, he's, he's not happy with the job he's been given. He's, 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 he's not happy at all. But what can he do? He's a prophet. God's told him what he has to say. So he begins the long march through the city of Nineveh, the city of sin, the city of lasciviousness, the city that needs repentance desperately because it's a mess. He starts walking through, and of course, three days, he sings, proclaims the simple message, repent, you've got 40 days to figure things out, or God's going to blow you up. Well, lo and behold, the exact thing that he preaches to the people of Nineveh but does not in the least expect them to do happens. They actually listen to the prophet. And this is to the credit to the people of Nineveh. <laughs> they repent. I mean, they repent deeply. They change their ways, they change their hearts, they put on sackcloth and ashes, all of them from the king all the way down to, you know, every little dog and cat and cow. Everybody repents. They all change their hearts. It's a miracle. And poor Jonah can't hardly believe it because it is not what he wanted. He wanted to sit on a hill on the 40th day and watch God smite the city of Nineveh, leaving it nothing but dust and a memory in the history of the world. And that's not what he got. His proclamation on behalf of God, unwilling though it was and incomplete though it was, did the job. So the credit goes, of course, to God. The credit goes, of course, to the people of Nineveh. Not much of it goes to the prophet himself. In the list of great prophets of Israel, poor Jonah must be down way, way, way on the list kind of like the AP poll of prophets who fell out of the top 25 this week. So moving along through a few centuries of history, practically a millennium, we come across this story from Gospel of Mark where Jesus is doing almost the same thing that Jonah was doing. He's wandering around the villages of Galilee and he's saying a very simple message. He's proclaiming a very simple message at first. To begin with, his message is simply, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Well, what's different between Jonah and Jesus is that Jesus' heart is in his message. Jesus wants the people of Galilee to repent because the kingdom of God is there. Not because of fear. Oh my God, God might blast us into smithereens. Or oh my God, we better repent or we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Oh my God, we better repent because, because the end is near. Because I fear the fires of hell. <laughs> no! There's none of that. Jesus calls the people to repent because God is near to them. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is him. 
The kingdom of God is his love, his mercy, his compassion, his ability and his capacity and his desire to heal and to forgive and to raise people up and to give them new lives. That's the kingdom of God. A kingdom where peace and justice and mercy and compassion flow like great rivers. That's the kingdom of God. And that's what he wants people to see and hear and feel and touch in him. And so to repent is not out of fear of a final condemnation or destruction by God's lightning bolts of our entire city or our town or our homes or our lives. People repent in the face of Jesus' proclamation because he's proclaiming love now present among us. God's love, God's compassion, God's mercy. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because in the very next scene, we see that call to repentance lived out. Jesus lovingly, attentively, caringly calls to the first disciples, these fishermen, Peter and Andrew, next James and John, sons of Zebedee. And what does he do? Does he shake his fist at them? You better follow me or you're all going to hell. No. You better follow me or I'm going to strike you and smite you with lightning bolts. No. You better follow me or in 40 days, God's going to destroy this whole world of ours. No. Follow me because I'm the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the reign of God right here among you. And I, in God, love you. Jesus looks at them as he calls them. He embraces them. He maybe slaps them on the back a little bit. Who knows? But he loves them. And that's what brings them out of their boats onto the trail with him for the next three years. It is Jesus' great love, his infinite love, his extraordinarily divine love that calls them out of their old ways and allows them to taste the blessings of the kingdom of God right there and then in him, in his flesh, in his blood, in his word, in his spirit, most of all, of course, in his affection and love for them. And of course, so it is for us. These gospel stories and Old Testament stories are meant to touch us. They're not old stories from long times ago that have no meaning for us in this 21st century. <laughs> they mean even more now than they did 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. Our world is more in need of, of the reign of God than ever. We all need to hear Jesus say, come follow me, and then let go of our past and follow him. Because that's what changes the world. It's not fear of disaster. It's not fear of condemnation. It's not fear of going to hell forever and ever and ever. It's being loved by God, flesh and blood, spirit and soul. And every time we gather here on Sunday morning, we draw so close to that mystery, to that life, to that love. 
Each time we come forward down this aisle, extend our hands and receive the body of Christ into those hands, into our hearts, into our souls, into our lives, we are following him. We are saying yes, like Andrew and Peter and James and John did. We are promising to follow him and to share his kingdom of God and its blessings with our world throughout the coming days. And that has the power to change things, as we saw in Nineveh, even more as we see in the disciples of Jesus. You know, as Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were changed forever by the love of God made manifest in Jesus. And so it is for us. As we accept this living Jesus into our own hearts, the reign of God is made present among us and extends out from us to the whole world. And we cannot for an instant believe that this world, difficult and challenging and broken as it is, cannot change for the better, cannot become the reign of God here and now. That's the great hope of Christianity in good times and even and most especially in bad times when the world does seem like it's going to hell in a handbasket, when the whole place seems like Nineveh before the sackcloth and ashes, that's when Jesus' presence, his reign, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his healing touch is most needed and most powerful and most thoroughly does its work among us all. Jesus' simple words are words of love. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near in me.